Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed this Jesus for President sermon series thus far. And we want to let you know that we're just getting started. It's going to be even better. Next week, acclaimed author, pastor, and theologian, Bruxy Cavey, will be here at Prodigal all the way from the great north, right? The, the, all the way from Canada. He will be here. He's got a specific message on Jesus for President for us, for the prodigal community, and we just can't wait. So once you see it, share it a bunch of times, uh, it's gonna be absolutely incredible. And then secondly, tonight is our third virtual town hall. And these have been an incredible time for us to wrestle through and unpack the teaching from the morning service on Jesus for President. And so we wanna invite you, you can find the Zoom link uh, on our app under events, or on our website under calendar. And we hope to see you tonight at 6 p.m. for our third town hall. Uh, also, if, if you haven't watched or listened to the previous messages in our series, you may wanna do that before today's sermon because they really do set the Jesus foundation uh, from which we'll continue to build upon. Let's take America back for God. Let's make America Christian again. Let's stop all the bad people who are taking Christ out of Christmas, taking God out of schools, taking God out of our nation. Are you familiar with this sentiment? I suggest to you that this sentiment is behind much of the Christian political discourse in our country today. And this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching, I want to explore the possibility that this shouldn't be the posture of Christians in America. That this posture is, in effect, hindering rather than advancing the good news of Jesus. And in his book, uh, The Church of Us Versus Them, uh, David Fitch summarizes an episode in 2015 that really brings this to light. Okay, in, in 2015, the Indiana State Legislature, in 2015, the Indiana State Legislature passed a religious freedom law. Now, playing on the fears that Christian businesses would have to offer services for gay weddings or other practices endorsing um, LGBTQ sexuality, the legislatures in many conservative states passed bills allowing businesses to legally defend their right to refuse um, to offer services to those groups if their religious conscience was offended. And so the conservative group focused on the family lobbied for such religious freedom bills and uh, they lobbied for these because they said Christian bakers, florists, and photographers should not be punished for refusing to participate in a homosexual marriage. Uh, so a large group of Catholic nuns and several evangelical pastors were invited to the governor of Indiana's office for the ceremonial signing of the bill. The governor at the time was, of course, our now Vice President Mike Pence. And the bill was conceived to allow businesses to refuse to offer services to LGBTQ folks in the name of religious freedom. And it was a symbol for Indiana Christians of restoring the state to a Christian America. 
And the signing of this bill set off a media firestorm, as you can imagine. And in the midst of the controversy, an Indianapolis television person interviewed the owner of a small business, a small pizzeria called Memories Pizzeria. And she asked the owner whether she would cater a gay wedding. And the owner reluctantly admitted that the pizzeria would not cater a gay wedding if they were asked. And in a matter of a few hours, the pizzeria's Yelp review, it, it lit up with degrading insults and dehumanizing slurs. On their Facebook page, lewd pictures of naked men along with threats to rob and burn down the restaurant appeared. In a matter of 24 hours, this little pizzeria became the center of monstrous hate. Not long after the flurry of hate, uh, Memories Pizzeria announced that they were on the verge of closing because of all of the hate. A GoFundMe page was started and over 29,000 people donated almost a million dollars in less than a week. More money than the pizza place had generated in revenue throughout its entire existence. How does one little pizza parlor become the eye of such a ferocious hurricane of hate? And notable in all of this is that no gay or lesbian couple actually ordered pizzas for their wedding. In fact, it is rare for a couple, gay or straight, to ever think of takeout pizza as the preferred meal for a wedding reception. And so the pizza parlor had, had become this absurd and empty symbol toward which our hate could be aimed. Hate of Christians who don't want equal rights for gay people or hate of gay people for forcing their view on everyone else. The taking down of a little pizza joint in Indiana in the name of equal rights for gays or supporting the, its survival at any cost. They both had become such a source of enjoyment that it didn't matter whether such activity had any real impact on the cause for gay rights or Christian rights. It became a place for people to hurl their anger at from one direction or another. Meanwhile, did anyone ever get to the actual discerning of whether Christians should provide pizza or other services for gay weddings? Did churches actually begin to wrestle through what it would mean to be a Jesus community and, and offer these services or not? Perhaps that happened, but more than likely, people on both sides walked away having made their point and thus feeling some self-gratifying -gratif enjoyment at the other's expense, either almost closing down a pizza joint or knowing that they had helped make more money in one week than in its entire history. This is the enemy machine, the enemy making machine at its best. This is the enemy making machine at its best, or should I say at its worst. It sets people against one another. It plays on the other side's taste for vengeance in the glee that we receive in winning, all the while accomplishing absolutely nothing. It distracts us from being present to what God is actually doing in the lives of people and the social structures around us. And likewise, each time the church of Jesus becomes a little pizza parlor, it too ends up making enemies, not friends. That's not the call of Christ followers. The church must avoid becoming the pizza parlor. The church must make space for Christ's presence amidst strife and for reconciliation, for table fellowship, 
and for being among the least of these and loving the least of these. The space beyond making enemies. Now, this story of Memories Pizzeria, I hope that you can see the critique on both sides, right? The right and the left. Both rallied around something that became symbolic and both saw each other as the enemy and chose to treat each other as such. That's not what being a Christian is all about and that's not what being an American is all about. This posture of we've got to win so that we can be a Christian nation again, it's a lie. It doesn't bring the kingdom of God. It actually hinders the kingdom of God. And it's a lie for two reasons. First, we never see this, let's take Israel back for God posture in Jesus. Okay? We see it in his disciples for sure. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples were in Samaria. And remember, the Samaritans, they were the bad guys. Okay? They were the enemies. And Jesus sends some disciples ahead of him to get things ready. And the Samaritans did not welcome him. And the disciples are all upset. And so when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. How much different is the posture of Jesus than those fighting over memories pizzeria? See, we talked about this last week. We, we are to take our cues from Jesus. We are to lead the way in lamb-like sacrificial love and scandalous grace, not just for those that are like us, but for our enemies, for those who are very different than us. Rather than being like the disciples and calling fire down from heaven to destroy these terrible heathens. This take America back, take, take Israel back to God. We don't see that, that posture, that, that clamoring for power in the life and teachings of Jesus. Every time he is offered power or political control, he, risks, he resists it to be with the least of these. So first, we never see this, let's take our country back for God, posture in Jesus. Secondly, if we were to take America back for God, it must have once belonged to God. But it is my contention that America was not and is not a Christian nation. I think that that is a historically false claim. Does it surprise you that neither God nor Christianity is mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. The Declaration of Independence does mention the Creator, and it does mention the Supreme Judge of the world, but note what's lacking here. What's lacking here is any language that is specifically Christian. It's lacking the most basic claims about the Christian faith. The language of Creator or Supreme Judge, that's the language that any good deist would use. John Adams wrote this in the Treaty of Tripoli, as the government of the United States of America is not, in any sense, founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the law's religion or tranquility of Muslim, Muslims. Thomas Jefferson himself took a penknife to parts of the Bible that he found objectionable. And in his story of Jesus of Nazareth, the story ends with the tomb being sealed, and that's it. Jefferson wasn't a Christian by any definition of the word, given his denial of the resurrection of Jesus. Does it surprise you that in God we trust was placed on coins nearly a hundred years into the history of our country? And our Pledge of Allegiance, which has become a very hot-button topic nowadays, the phrase, under God, uh, 
has been in the news as of late. But did you know that the phrase under God wasn't in the original Pledge of the Allegiance? It was added in 1954 under President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who also said, our government has no sense unless it is founded by a deep religious faith, and I don't care what it is. No, America wasn't founded as a Christian nation, and it certainly didn't act Christian. First, we slaughtered the Native American population. And then, the first hundred years of American history, we enslaved thousands of African men, women, and children. The great Frederick Douglass wrote this of the Christianity of his day. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most de deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. Now, I want to remind you all that nothing I have said thus far can be construed as right or left. And may I suggest that if right-left is your only filter for any and everything that you hear, it may be time for a new filter. That may be what God wants to bring to you throughout this series. There's this painting painted on the dome of our Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It is called The Apotheosis of Washington. And it was commissioned by President Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. And it was to depict our nation as a necessity in world history. Uh, the name apotheosis, it means raising up, of, raising up of a person to the rank of God or the glorification of a person as an ideal. And here in this painting, you have Washington among the gods. And right below Washington is the goddess Columbia, the goddess of war. And back up there with Washington on his right and on his left are two female figures representing liberty, victory, or fame. And this painting on the ceiling of our capital might be American. It's very American. It's just not Christian. What, what I'm trying to say is that for, for too long, the church has conflated Christianity with America. And I want to contend that that is bad news for Christianity, and it's also bad news for America. Our politicians feed us this, right? Thomas Jefferson said this, the USA is the world's best hope. Abraham Lincoln said that it's, we're the last best hope of the earth. Woodrow Wilson insisted that America would save the world. Okay, these are Republicans and these are Democrats. Both parties fuse Bible and country. Both parties appeal to God. Both parties will always put the kingdom of America over the kingdom of God. And if you think that the kingdom of America is synonymous with the kingdom of God, you are mistaken. America has boundaries. The kingdom of God does not. America has walls and a border. The kingdom of Jesus does not. We have laws that govern who can come in. Not everyone is invited or welcomed into America. But no, that's not so with the kingdom of God, right? None are excluded. All are invited. All are welcome. America uses force 
to maintain its status. The kingdom uses suffering love to maintain its status. See, these are two very different kingdoms. Have you noticed that even present-day politicians fuse America and Christianity together? In President Trump's State of the Union address in 2019, he said, we must keep Jesus first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. We must always keep faith in Jesus, that Jesus must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Something's not right. I must admit, that's not exactly what he said. Instead of the word Jesus, he used the word America. This is actually word for word what he stated. We must keep America first in our hearts. We must keep freedom alive in our souls. We must always keep faith in America's destiny that one nation under God must be the hope and the promise and the light and the glory among all the nations of the world. Can we at least be open to the fact that putting America first can be a form of idolatry? That our call as Christians is to put Jesus above all, even our nation, as great as our nation is. And again, this is not just a Republican thing. Uh, former Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke, he said that America is the last great hope of the earth. No, it isn't. The United States of America, even with all of its beauty and goodness, is not the hope of the world. Would you agree that God loves Canadians as much as he loves you? Okay. Uh, would you agree that God loves the people of Mexico as much as he loves you and me? Would you agree that God loves the people of France as much as he loves you and I? Would you agree that God loves the people of Iraq as much as he loves you and I? You see, there's no borders for God's love. He loves those uh, here in our nation, and he loves those in other nations that potentially might be our enemies. God loves everyone, and our loyalty is to him. He's our commander-in-chief. To conflate love of country with the myth of a Christian nation is once again bad news for the country and bad news for Christianity. Because the myth that America is a Christian nation has led many to associate America with Jesus. And now when people hear the good news of Jesus all over the world, they think of it as American news, capitalistic news, exploitive news, anti-gay news, Republican news. Now whether justified or not, many people want nothing to do with it because of that. And I, I love our country. I'm so grateful that I live here. Our country may very well be the best kingdom of this world out of all the kingdoms of this world. But it's not on par with the kingdom of God. I refuse to blindly support any kingdom other than the kingdom of God. Critiquing imperial power, critiquing the kings of our day, is an extremely biblical thing to do. Uh, we see the great prophets in the Old Testament uh, always chastising their kings because the governments 
were hindering and hurting the poor rather than bringing them up, rather than helping them. And we see the New Testament authors rallying around the banner that Jesus is Lord in a culture that said Caesar is Lord. Some might say that you should never be critical of America. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. The, I believe that when America is wrong, that American Christians should be able to say that America is wrong. And we have been wrong numerous times throughout our history. But when we wrap our identity in Christ with our identity as Americans, it can easily become God loves America more than he loves any other nation. But our fundamental job is to love like God loves, not to be God's favorite people over and above all other people. The greatest enemy of Christianity is not liberalism, atheism, or Islam. The greatest enemy of Christianity is bad Christianity. And as a pastor, I've learned that cultural Christians are sometimes the hardest people to lead to Jesus. Patriotism is too small. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved America. It says, for God so loved the world. And I think there's just one more thing that demonstrates this, this conflation of Christian America. And it is the fact that many evangelical Christians are convinced that, that Christians, and even Jesus himself, are suffering deep persecution here in America. And brothers and sisters, let me just tell you, that is not the case. I am saying all of these things publicly in America, on the internet, with no fear of suffering, hurting, torture, imprisonment, or death. That, this video testifies to the fact that we are not under great persecution as Christians here in America. Now, are Christians under attack in some ways in America? In some cases, yes, and we should be mindful of that. But let's not be deceived by the culture war rhetoric that Christians are under widespread attack and that the worst persecution is here, that we're the victims. Often American Christians can become so caught up in thinking that everyone's out to get us that we root our politics and our voting decisions rooted in fear. And the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. In other words, we end up voting against instead of what we're for, right? Don't just vote for what you're against. Show us what you're about. Create a better story. Compel us. Invite us. Help us to reimagine a better future, a better story. Whoever you think your enemy is, as, as a Christian in America, rethink it. Because Ephesians says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, whether they're right-wing or left-wing, gay or straight, pro-choice, pro-life, liberal, conservative, democratic or communist, American or Iraqi. We only have one command, love God first and love our neighbors as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Everyone, even our enemy. These are our marching orders and the enemy is clear. It is not another kingdom of this world. Our enemy is the kingdom of darkness. And when we do this, 
when we follow the kingdom of Jesus, when we follow his lordship in our lives, we will be dying for our enemies rather than just rejoicing over their own destruction. Our unique authority and power as Christians is not our right to vote. It's our right, no, it's, it's our obedience to God's command that we suffer for righteousness sake. That we love sacrificially and serve our enemies for the sake of winning them to Christ. And I, I just want to say I'm guilty of this too. Watching the news or I'm thinking of that person or that group and I think they're the enemy. Spending time and energy in my own life and mind hating them when I'm called to love them. Listen, we could have all the right views and all the right opinions, but if our lives don't look like the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, if our lives don't look like suffering love, dying and forgiving enemies who are crucifying us, if our lives don't look like Golgotha's cross, then our rightness, our correctness, is merely religious noise. For the church to lack love is for the church to lack everything. No heresy could be conceivably worse. No, our kingdom is different. Our lives are different. Our love is different. And our allegiance is to him and to his kingdom. May you show and share that love in everything, in every way, to everyone. God, I pray that you would strike that in our hearts in a deep, convicting way. God, for the ways in which we have clamored for political power and thought we could bring your reign through policy or through party or through politicians, we lay that down at the foot of the cross. And may we be Christians who show and share your sacrificial love in everything, including our politics. God, may we show your love to everyone all the time. In Jesus' name, amen.